Thanks for joining us for our online gathering. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors. And a special shout out to Mount Scott folks for joining us. We're, we're so glad you're with us today. We are definitely better uh, together. One of the things I really miss uh, pre-COVID, and I miss a lot, but one of the things I really miss is gathering together for corporate singing uh, every Sunday. Numerous studies have been done to show that it has profound health benefits gathering together to sing together physically, emotionally, and it actually bonds us together as humans. Studies have been shown that we begin to sing together, our heartbeat gets in, it gets aligned. So our hearts are beating together as one, which is great. It's like this social glue uh, when we sing together. It's the power of music that releases these incredible neurochemicals that, that release stress and, and anxiety and help us feel more joyful. Music is, is, is powerful. Uh, People who are dealing with memory loss, they now use music therapy to help them uh, reclaim their memories. People with profound memory loss, some of the last things they remember are songs and music. So loved ones can come in and sing songs. And singing unlocks this deep reservoir of, of music, uh, of, of, of memories rather, that, that lies places we sometimes can't grasp. Uh, memory also aid or singing also aids us in memory. Uh, when we were all young, we learned the A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You can sing along at home if you want. I won't continue on, but you get the idea, uh, the power of music. So we thought, how cool would it be to devote a whole series to the power of music? So over Advent, over the next four weeks, we're going to have a series that we're calling The Carols of Christmas. Each Sunday, we're going to explore uh, a favorite Christmas Carol. We're going to talk about its history, where did it come from, and how it's rooted and grounded in Scripture. Hopefully you're paying attention earlier to all the announcements on Advent. Happy Advent! Today is the launch of the Advent season. Maybe you're really familiar with that. Maybe you're not. Maybe it's brand new to you, but we're trying to give you a ton of tools to celebrate Advent as individuals, as families, as life groups. Uh, Christians, followers of Jesus have been celebrating Advent in the church calendar all the way back to the fifth century. The word means uh, arrival or coming. Uh, the, the longer uh, term for it in the Latin is ad, ad, Adventus Redemptoris, the coming of the Redeemer. The heart of Advent season is looking back to remember the original coming of King Jesus and his birth, but also, and at the same time, looking forward to the return of King Jesus. So we try to provide tools for you to lean into the season. So make sure you, you pick up that Advent kit. We really want you to do an Advent wreath is ho at home and celebrate along with us each Sunday as we light a different candle to commemorate a different aspect of Advent. Hopefully the devotionals will guide your hearts towards the things that are most important for the season. And then the Advent offering, really wanna challenge you as your pastor to dig deep uh, this Advent season. Pray about what you can give. Emily and her team did a fantastic job getting some projects uh, together for us. And uh, we wanna be a church that spends less and gives more. So kudos to our team at uh, New Hope and Mount Scott coming together and creating these Advent kits. Uh, uh, Chelsea and her team, just really grateful for all the work that they have done. So hopefully uh, you'll, you'll pick those up and you'll participate with us. It's not a year, and maybe you may be feeling this in heart, it's not a year to lean away from Advent, it's a year to lean in. And if you've never celebrated Advent, begin now with us. So let's, uh, let's dig into our first carol that we're gonna celebrate and hopefully we'll feel the power of music today. And it is a carol, I'm, I, would, I would expect that you would know it, called Go Tell It 
on the mountain. So let me just start by reading you the lyrics to go tell it on the mountain. There's different variations of the lyrics. This is the one we're, we're going with. Uh, I'll start with the chorus or the refrain, and then I'll read the verses and then end again with the refrain. So go tell it on the mountain. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. This is verse one. While shepherds kept their watching over silent flocks by night, behold, throughout the heavens, there shone a holy light. The shepherds feared and trembled when low above the earth rang out the angel chorus that hailed our Savior's birth. Down in a lowly manger, the humble Christ was born and God sent out salvation that blessed Christmas morn. When I was a seeker, I sought both night and day. I sought the Lord to help me and he showed me the way. He made me a watchman upon the city wall and if I am a Christian, I am the least of all. Go tell it on the mountains, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountains that Jesus Christ was born, is born. What, what is the, the origin of this song? I love getting into this, and that's some of what we'll do in this series is, is ask the question, where did this come from? And they're usually really provocative and interesting answers. The origin of this Christmas carol goes all the way back um, right around the time, uh, a little after the Civil War, there's a man named John Wesley Work, and John Wesley Work was an African American uh, church choir leader and scholar, and uh, he knew of this whole uh, grouping of songs called Black Spirituals, uh, sung by uh, his ancestors, those who were enslaved in in the South, and he wanted to teach his present generation some of these songs. He started doing the work of recovering them and gathering them and collecting them and teaching them. There was a, a university called Fisk University that been, had been created to educate those who had been uh, freed from enslavement. And at Fisk University was a group of singers, a choir called the, the Fisk Jubilee Singers. And uh, John Work uh, was, was part of the leadership of the, of the Fisk uh, Jubilee singers. And he began to introduce these young college students to the black spirituals. At first, they were super reluctant. They're like, that was a really dark time. We don't want to go back there. But as they begin to learn them, they could not stop uh, singing them. John Work uh, passed on his love of the black spirituals to his son, uh, John Wesley Work Jr., who uh, went to Harvard and got educated, came back to Fisk University, taught Latin and Greek history. Him and his wife and his brother Frederick continued to work with the Fisk uh, Jubilee singers and continued to teach them uh, the black spirituals. In 1871, Fisk University was really struggling financially. So the Fisk Jubilee singers, a group of 10 of them, decided they would launch out for a road tour. It was kind of a last gasp effort to save the university. They took all the remaining money the university had and went on this tour. And what did they decide to sing? They decided to tour the nation and even the world uh, singing black spirituals. Uh, it was a profound success. They uh, sang in front of uh, U.S. President Chester Arthur and in front of the Queen of England, literally going all over the world uh, to packed houses. It was the first time most white audiences had heard black spirituals. It was the first time most white audience had even heard uh, black people sing Blackface was a terrible thing at the time, and uh, most uh, black music was sung by white people with blackface. And the Fisk Jubilee singers in this tour begin to break down those barriers, which is another incredible story. They continued to grow and performed until 19. 
1904. If you look at uh, Go Tell It on the Mountain, it's attributed uh, and, and, and it's authored, it says, by John Wesley Work Jr., 1907. That's not accurate. John Wesley Work Jr. never claimed to wrote it. He recovered it, and he, he brought it out, and, he, and it began to be sung widely when he published it in a book in 1907. And then once the Fist Jubilee Singers began to sing it, and it was the centerpiece of their show, the, the song spread all over the world. So imagine this, this little-known song that we don't know who authored it. It was authored by uh, a group of people or someone who was enslaved in the South in the early 1800s, created as they're working and picking cotton. And this, this song that was just sung among the cotton rows suddenly now is sung all over the world and, and is in hymnals all over the world. It's, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, John Wesley Work's grandson, John Wesley Work III, continued the legacy of his grandfather and his father. He, uh, he went to Juilliard. He continued to gather spirituals, build the catalog of spirituals, add to them their stories of John Wesley Work III, traveling hundreds of miles to find elderly folks who had been enslaved just to find out if these songs were accurate, to add extra choruses and verses to them, and to recover uh, new ones. He uh, did one last revision to go tell it on the mountain, uh, and brings us up to what I read earlier. He added a last verse. It's really it's unknown whether he wrote that or it's one of the verses that that he recovered. Go tell on the mountain is one of the most beloved black spirituals, and it's really one of the few black spirituals that has anything to do with Christmas. The song has been covered by Mahalia Jackson, Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra, Dolly Parton, Cheryl Crow, Simon and Garfunkel, Garth Brooks, and Hansen, just to name a few. And if you don't know who Hansen is, it's totally okay. You don't need to know. Uh, there's In the Fisk University, there's a tradition that started that the students on Christmas morning, well before the sunrise, would gather up and walk building to building, singing, Go Tell It on the Mountain. I wish I could see that. What a, what a beautiful sight. This song that was created by generations of those that came before them who were oppressed and enslaved. It, it was a song uh, from their hearts and their lips, uh, promoting the hope that they had in the coming king, now passed on to generations, now passed on to me, now passed on to you. And we can also sing this song in dark times uh, to convey our hope. Uh, so where did this song come from? How was it grounded in scripture? Because it certainly is grounded in scripture. We're going to explore that a little bit. Our scripture reader today is Michelle Collins, and she's uh, one of our new staff members that has come over from Mount Scott. So Michelle, take it away. Our scripture reading for today comes from Isaiah 52, 7 through 10. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. This is the word of the Lord. 
Uh, thanks so much, Michelle. We're so glad to have you as part of our team. Uh, since we don't know who wrote Go Tell It on the Mountain, uh, we, we have to presume where it came from biblically, where their biblical inspiration was. But I think it's likely uh, that it came from the prophet Isaiah, principally in two passages that we'll look at. One Michelle just read for us, and that's Isaiah 52. What's the scene here in Isaiah 52? Uh, it's a scene that would have been really easy for his readers, his original audience to grasp, more difficult for us. But I think we can get there. His scene, and, and go ahead and pull it back up if, if you don't have it in front of you, because I want you to, to think about what I'm saying as, as I say it. His scene is a, a city, he, Jerusalem, he says, and that, that's well known. And Jerusalem was in ruins during the time of the prophet Isaiah. The Babylonians had come in and ransacked it, destroyed the temple. The walls were destroyed, but people were left there and still living there. So picture that, a, a, a once beautiful city now in ruins and the people in ruins. And, and they're always at fear of, of, of others coming in and, and taking advantage of them and attacking them and those kind of things. So there's, there's rampant fear. And then, but their king, this is the scene Isaiah's painting, their king has gone out to fight a great battle against their enemies on their behalf. And they're waiting with trepidation and fear behind this ruined city to hear the news. Would it be good news or would it be bad news? Good news would be incredible. Bad news would just add to their immense pain and suffering. And what they're watching for and what the watchmen are watching for, that the song Go Tell It on the Mountain mentions, is the herald. And this is a deal. This, this is a real historical deal where heralds would go forth from battles, uh, maybe one herald, maybe a group of heralds, riding as fast as they could with news for the city on how the battle went. And it's kind of like, thumbs up, <laughs> like it's really good. Thumbs down, everybody run for it. That was kind of the deal. So that's the scene Isaiah's painting. His people would have known it well, been there, done that. We have to stretch to imagine it, but it's helpful to know uh, that context. And so what Isaiah's painting is, the watchman on the wall see the herald coming, and the, the image is the herald is coming up over the crest of a mountain. Picture this awesome war stallion galloping, and the herald, as he crests the mountain, holds up from a distance the victory flag. And the watchman on the t tower like, whoa, yeah. yeah, that's the scene that Isaiah painted. Victory, it's all good. This is incredible. Things have totally changed. Our lives have been restored. We've been rescued. It's that scene. And then Isaiah writes these famous words. They have more context now. He says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Isaiah is referring to this herald. His people would have known that. that a herald alone typically was, was bringing good news. And, and Isaiah is painting a picture of this herald coming alone, lifting up the, the victory flag. And, and Isaiah says, because the herald brings such incredible good news, the herald's feet uh, are beautiful. And so, you know, maybe the herald, this herald is not riding a horse. Maybe this herald is running. And that's the thing we even see in scripture of heralds running miles and miles and miles to convey news. And so uh, Isaiah is saying, beautiful are the feet of that herald because that herald brings the good news of our triumphant and victorious king that is an absolute game changer for all of us in this ruined city. Uh, so what's the good news that Isaiah is talking about? The good news, if you look down in verse 8, the end of verse 8, you'll see quotations. That's the good news. The message that the herald brings running all those miles is your God reigns. Uh, your God's been victorious. Your king, your leader has won the great battle. Everything has changed. You're rescued. 
And imagine the emotion of these people that literally for decades have lived in ruin, hopeless lives, always under fear and trepidation, and suddenly everything's changed. Essentially, the herald is telling them, because of the victory of the king, all is well. And then Isaiah details three components of this good news. They're easy to see if you just read the passage. And the three components, the first one is peace. That is the Hebrew word shalom. It's a pretty familiar word. We talk about it a good bit at New Hope. The word shalom means peace and so much more. It means everything is is working together and fitting together perfectly and everything is flourishing. That's the idea. It's just like the best. It's exactly as it's supposed to be. That's the word. So the, part of the good news is because of the king's victory, there's shalom. And then and Isaiah says, there's also goodness. We talked about this word a few weeks ago. That comes from the Hebrew word tov. And it means that things are designed a, per, a certain way by God. And when tov a uh, uh, occurs, they're working exactly as their design. Another translation of that we talked about is beauty. So Isaiah is like, the good news is, is peace and shalom and flourishing and goodness and beauty. And then finally, salvation. And we know what that means. Salvation uh, to a people who had been uh, oppressed uh, and to the people who wrote Go Tell It on the Mountain who had been enslaved. Now Isaiah says, the good news is you're set free from bondage. God's reign, God's victory in the scene is not only, it's not only good news, it's great news. And then Isaiah says, the first ones to know this news, because they're the ones looking for the herald coming over the crest of the hill, uh, waving the flag, running. Uh, the herald, the watchmen are the first ones to know. And then the scene that Isaiah is painting is the watchmen see the good news, and then they turn around and they share it joyously, kind of this triumphant chorus with all the people that are in ruin. He even refers to the people as the ruins of Jerusalem. They live in ruins and they have been ruined, but no more. That's the good news that the king has, has achieved this incredible victory that's changed everything for them. They've now been rescued. They're gonna be restored. And kind of that last line, Isaiah says, and this is a prophetic line, this lands with us because this is true of us that one day Yahweh will flex his holy arm for all the world to see or bear his holy arm for all the world to see and accomplish the redemption of everyone. So it's a very hopeful passage. So where did this song, Go Tell It on the Mountain, come from? It came from the lips of the enslaved in cotton fields. We don't know who, who, who wrote it, but we know where it was birthed from, their knowledge of the prophet Isaiah, that scripture. And then the second scripture would be Isaiah 40. And I think that they took the refrain of the course of Go Tell from the, from the Mountain correctly, uh, directly from Isaiah 49. And this is Isaiah 49. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Or go tell on a mountain. I mean, that's essentially what Isaiah is saying. So it's just too closely related. Uh, those who had been enslaved had to have heard this and known the scripture, and, and they're singing this out, even in their oppression, with hope, like Isaiah's people that were in uh, the ruins. So wh what does this have to do with us? Right? I mean, some of this is interesting, and the history of it, I think, is really interesting. But ancient prophet, uh, a song written in the 1800s, yeah, we sing it, but what does it have to do with my life and what does it have to do uh, with your life? Well, we live in a world uh, with tons of bad news. 
I, I don't know that anyone can really argue that, but here's, here's some facts. 74% uh, of the words we use to describe other people are bad news words. There's way more bad news words in the English language than there are good news words. And we may not even be aware we're doing it, but this is factually true. Studies have also revealed that news agencies have, have used way more bad news since the 1970s, at least maybe even before. This was staggering to read, but this is true. 90% of news in print and in television uh, highlights bad news. 90%. Why is that? Because I think we like bad news. <laughs> we're, we're, something in us and our brokenness is drawn to uh, bad news. One website decided for a couple days they were just going to do good news stories, and their click rate dropped by two-thirds. It's not a sustainable business model. So why all the bad news? Because they're giving us what we want to read. They're giving us what we want to click on. If we don't believe this, just do this. And don't do it right now, but do it later. Go to your fav favorite news website, whatever that might be, and count the number of bad news stories and then count the number of good news stories if you can find them. And you'll see that it's true. It's true for our, our social media feeds. Go to Facebook, read through the feed, go to Twitter, count the number of bad news, post and comments and count the number of good news. There's just something in our brokenness that we're drawn to bad news and our world is inundated with bad news. There's bad news everywhere. In the midst of, of the bad news, Isaiah and the folks that wrote uh, Go Tell It on the Mountain are calling us to be gospel people. Now, what does that mean? That, I know right away you're like, oh, that's really churchy language, John. What does that mean? Fair enough. Go gospel, the word gospel is, is carrying a lot of heavy baggage. We load a lot of things on to that word. So if we're meant to be gospel people, what does that mean? The word gospel originates from the two passages we just looked at in Isaiah, Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 40. That's where it comes from. Uh, in the Hebrew, if you looked at the English translations, it's uh, translated good news, and that's a really accurate uh, translation. The New Testament writers took Isaiah's idea of this good news and they ran with it and it became a central part of, of their message. In the Greek language, it's, it's the Greek word is euangelion. That's when you see good news, that's the Greek word behind it, euangelion. And it literally means essentially good news. It's two Greek words coming together. The four eyewitness accounts of Jesus, this was such a predominant idea, are called gospels, which is another word for good news. It's another word for euangelion. Uh, the angels, when they appeared to the shepherds, and Go Tell It on the Mountain has several verses devoted to the Luke 2 scene. Uh, they, they're announcing news, and it was really good news. This is captured in verses uh, 1 and 2 of Go Tell It on the Mountain. And this is what they say. Uh, the angels said to them, do not be afraid, for I bring you, here it is, euangelion, good news that will cause great joy for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah the Lord, the, the angels are announcing to the shepherds the culmination of Isaiah's prophecies. We can link those two things with this, this, this word good news and we link it up with Isaiah's good news. It's, it's what Isaiah had envisioned. The angels are announcing, that's now. The king that you've been waiting for, the victorious king, he's here and he's bringing peace and goodness and salvation. Jesus, the one that they talked about, Jesus in his ministry as he grew up, he clearly affirmed and stepped into that role of the one that Isaiah had promised, the king who would come in victory to provide peace and goodness and salvation. 
In some of his first recorded words in the Gospel of Mark, uh, Jesus says this, after John was put in prison, uh, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. There it is. There's the link point, the euangelion. And Jesus says this, the time has come, he said, for the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus is like, it's now. I'm, I'm here. I'm the king. It's, it, it's coming. Jesus is saying that kingdom of God that has long been promised, and this is one of the, the, the dominant ideas in the Old Testament and New Testament, the reigning of God on the throne over all things. Jesus is like, that kingdom has arrived, and I'm the king. Like, I'm the guy right here. He's clearly stepping into it. And in Jesus's context, this was absolutely huge. In the Roman Empire, they used often this idea of euangelion. The Roman emperors would use it uh, for their birth date or when their rule got inaugurated, uh, Augustus Caesar. It's euangelion, it's good news. This, this Caesar has come into power. The Caesar's been born and it's good news for all people. It's salvation for all people. That's how they talk. Or if they had a big military victory, the, uh, the Romans would send heralds forth announcing the euangelion, the good news of this big military victory. We have to understand that because Jesus steps right into the context of that and says, oh no, like I'm talking about a kingdom and a kingship and a victory and a good news that far overshadows all of that. I'm here. Today's the day. What Isaiah talked about, it's, it's here. This idea of, of a king reigning and a king coming, it is, it's the central idea of the New Testament, it's a central idea of, of the Bible. It's the main idea of Jesus when, when he started teaching, the main idea of those who wrote the New Testament. It's the gospel, the good news. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright defines the gospel this way. The gospel is the royal announcement that the crucified and risen Jesus, who died for our sins and rose again, according to the scriptures, has been enthroned as the true Lord of the world. What Isaiah was talking about. That's long, you're not gonna remember it. Here's my working definition of gospel. The good news of the rescue and reign of King Jesus, that's it. That's what the gospel is, that's the good news. It's great news, it's incredible news of the rescue and the reign of King Jesus. Followers of Jesus, we are called to be gospel people. That means we're not called to be people of the bad news, we're called to be people of the, the good news. Um, we should be known by that. If people in our community are like, what do you think of those people in New Hope? What do you think of them? It shouldn't be like, oh, those are bad news people. <laughs> this is the very opposite. People would be saying, oh, like, like I don't know, but they're, they're always talking about good news. They're always about the good news. That should be the reputation of people that, that follow Jesus when they encounter us, when they bump up against our community. They should come away hopeful. They should come away encouraged because we're people of the good news. This is not to say that we have to live in la-la land and we're not tethered to reality and we have to ignore the pandemic and we have to ignore hard things. That's not what I'm saying. My mentor recently told me, uh, I was like, hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling about things? And he had this great line that I've been pondering a lot. He said, yeah, I'm not optimistic, but I'm hopeful. And I thought that that was really, really great. It's, it's, it's different. We're called to be good news people. We're called to be hopeful. And hope is not some form of optimism, some pie in the sky thing that's not tethered to reality. It's not like, I hope if I eat donuts, I'll lose weight. I mean, it's not like that kind of thing. It, it's 
tethered to concrete reality. And so when Isaiah is talking about it, it wasn't pie in the sky from him. It was tethered to the idea that God does reign and God is coming with peace and goodness and salvation. When Jesus is saying, I'm here in the kingdom of come, that's, that's, that's tethered to reality. And we, it, it, we can bank on it because of his death and his resurrection. So when we're hopeful and we're good news people, it's not kind of like, eh, you know, I'm just going to be hopeful and be optimistic. It's not that. It's something far more profound. So th- that's one thing. We should be gospel people. That's what we can draw from Isaiah. That's what we can draw from this incredible song, Go Tell It on the Mountain. We should be people of the good news. Secondly, uh, good news is meant uh, to be shared. Uh, that Again, the, the Greek word euangelion, it's a combination of two words, the, the, the Greek word for good and the Greek word for angel or message. Uh, literally, it's good angel or good message or good messenger. In the, in the very nuts and bolts of the word is, is this idea that good news is meant to be shared. It's, it's, it, it's what you do with good news. Paul, writing to the Romans, we read a little bit of that letter last week. I want to return to it. It's probably the most important letter in the New Testament. And Paul in Romans 10, 14 and 15, watch what he does, because he quotes prophet Isaiah that we uh, looked at before. He says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, here it comes, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And the followers of Jesus, man, they did a lot of things wrong. They weren't perfect. They listened to this. They knew the good news they had of of the rescue and the reign of King Jesus that was an absolute game changer, not only for them, but for everyone. They they knew they couldn't hold that to themselves. They knew they had to share the good news because good news is meant to be shared, and they did, and they carried that good news uh, throughout the world. Isaiah gives us an analogy of what that looks like. Back to Isaiah 52, the analogy is the watchman. And again, we don't see this. That's not a role in our society, but it very much was an important role in their society. This watch, these watchmen would take shifts, and they're always on, and they're usually in watchtowers, and they're scanning. They're just always looking, and they're mainly looking for trouble that's coming, marauding armies and different things. That's it. And so if they see it, they're like, oh, run, hide, you know, or whatever, close the gates. Uh, if they weren't on their watch and they fell asleep and something happened to people, we have texts that say that the blood of the city would be on their hands. It was like a high-pressure job. But they're also there looking for good news. And they're the first ones looking for the herald, looking in hope and expectation that victory is theirs and their lives will forever be changed. And they have the privilege, they have the heartache when they have to share bad news, but they have the privilege when they're scanning, they see good news. And that's the scene in Isaiah again, uh, the herald coming over, running triumphantly, holding up the victory flag. Can you imagine these people in ruin? They're like, we did it. We did it, everybody. We're free. We're rescued. The king has won. It's all going to be okay. All is well. It's that kind of role. That's what Isaiah says that we should be doing. That's our role as followers of Jesus. That's what the folks that, that, that wrote Go Tell It on the Mountain are telling us and compelling us. Good news is meant to be shared. We know this. Uh, it, it's, we had a girl. We had a boy. She said yes. I got the job, I'm cancer-free, whatever good news it is, we don't repress that. Who represses that? Who has a healthy child or who gets engaged? And so a good friend asks you what's going on, you're like, yeah, I don't wanna talk about it. 
we share good news. It's, it's what we do with the good news. That's totally true of me. Those of you who know me well know that. If I find a TV show or a movie I really like or a book or something happens in the sports world for one of my teams, I can't shut up about it. You guys all know that about me. You Mount Scott folks will learn that very soon. Uh, good news is meant to be shared. I get super, super excited. Um, I want to share a little bit of good news with you. Uh, uh, a year or two ago, I can't remember what it was, I found out that two of my favorite candies were having a baby. And this was incredibly good news. Uh, Reese's Cups, I'm a huge fan of Reese's Cups, and I'm a huge fan of Butterfingers. And I found out they were coming together to have a baby. Some genius figured out a way to bring these two candies together. There's going to be a picture of it. I don't know if you've had this, but if you haven't, you got you to find them. Uh, Butterfinger Cups. What? Are you kidding me? It was mind-blowing when I saw it. I was like, why have I never thought about it? They're Reese's Cups filled with all that Butterfinger goodness. And if you don't know what that is, it's the stuff that gets stuck in your teeth and you can enjoy later. It's just fantastic. Somebody, whoever created it should win the Nobel Prize, I think. That's good news. And when I experience that, I've got to share that good news with everyone. I mean, that's nothing. And all the things even before I, I offered up in, in seriousness of, of the births and the weddings and the good news that we experience all the time, really, that's nothing compared to the good news that we possess as followers of Jesus, that our king has won, that he's victorious, that his kingdom is coming. We know that because of the death and the resurrection of our king. Hope is on the way. It's not just optimism. He is going to come and make all things new, and he's going to come with peace and goodness and salvation. It's How can we not share that? Because good news is meant to be shared. And that's what the writers of Go Tell It on the Mountain want us to know, want us to think about when we sing it. That's certainly what the prophet Isaiah would want us to know. Uh, in Luke 2, the shepherds totally got that, didn't they? They saw the baby Jesus and heard the announcement. And what does the text say in Luke 2, if you're not familiar with it? It says they immediately went and told everyone they knew, because how could they not? Good news is meant to be shared. Finally, uh, what can we learn from this? We learn this simple principle that uh, the gospel is only good news to those who need a Savior. The gospel is only good news to those who need a Savior. Uh, there, there's a really horrific story and a remarkable story around those who wrote Go Tell It on the Mountain. The, the horrific story is well known. Uh, the enslavement of so many generations of African Americans, it's, it's just utterly horrific and gut-churning. It's even more horrific to think that many of them professed to follow Jesus. Many of them professed to know the gospel and still did that. It's, it's utterly disgusting, to be honest. But there's also a remarkable aspect to the story, and the remarkable aspect and really an untold story is that thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of those who were enslaved came to know the gospel in its truest form. We know that, that, uh, that those who, who owned uh, people who were enslaved or professed to own them would make them go to church services and that the whole household would go, including those who were enslaved. And those who were enslaved were not allowed to participate. They were not allowed to worship. They had to sit around the outer part of the church services. But they heard. And even they, they heard the very truncated gospel, and, and, and at times maybe even a false gospel, they heard the scriptures. And they heard some of the great hymns being sung, and they had ears to hear. To them, it was incredibly good news 
because they knew they needed a savior. They knew that their surroundings were there. There was no hope there. And despite the utter hypocrisy of those who brought them to church, they got the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. And then we know that little churches, little communities of the enslaved begin to crop up in secret. It's called the invisible church. It's a whole deal. It's so incredible. And they would have these, these, these services, and they would wait uh, till late at night when they thought that they could be safe, and they would sneak out to the swamps and to the forest where they had to be quiet still, and they would sing, and they would worship, and they would preach. These services were called hush harbors because they had to hush <laughs> so they wouldn't be heard. This is where the song Go Tell It on the Mountain was created. This is where it, it found its birth, the hope of these these brothers and sisters in our, of ours who were enslaved, creating this magnificent song about hope in the most hopeless situation because they knew, they understood the king had come and he was their king. And this king would make all things right. This king would bring peace. This king would bring goodness. This king would, would, would set them free and, and bring them salvation. When we sing, go tell it on the mountain, how can we not think about that? And yet so many people miss the good news. It's not good news to them because they don't see their need of a savior. And if that's you, I'd challenge you to think, what are you putting your hope in? And why isn't that good news? Uh, the gospel is only good news to those who need a savior. Uh, Isaiah's uh, words in the song, Go Tell on the Mountain, remind me of a scene in J.R.R. Tolkien's second book in the Lord of the Ring trilogy called The Two Towers. And let me nerd out just for a second. But in that scene, uh, Sauron's armies have gathered outside a city, and uh, the good folks are besieged. We have uh, Aragorn there, Theoden, Legolas, and their meager, beat-up armies. And they're far, far outnumbered, like 10 to 1. The walls are starting to crumble. Evil's about to have its way. And then Aragorn remembers Gandalf, the, the good wizard, who had left a while ago, and, and he said, on the fifth day of the siege, at first light, look to the east for my coming. And sure enough, Aragorn gets up that morning and as a watchman on the wall, peers out into the darkness and the first crack of dawn over the mountain, here comes Gandalf and a mighty, mighty army. Tolkien was a follower of Jesus. Tolkien knew his Bible well, and he's clearly leaning into to the prophet Isaiah. We're in the season of Advent, and the season of Advent is about waiting, and it's about watching. And that's the, that's the posture of our heart. We look back and we remember the first coming of our king, but he hasn't come yet. Like the people that were in the ruins, they knew the king was coming. They knew victory was theirs, but they were still in ruins. They were waiting for that day. They were looking and hoping and waiting. That's the heart posture of Advent. The victory's been secured. We can bank on that but we wait and we hope as watchmen on the walls, looking east, waiting for our king to come. And while we wait, we, we like the watchmen did, we share the good news of the coming kingdom. We share the good news of the victory that's been had. We share the good news of the king that will bring peace and goodness and salvation for all. How could we not? It, it's good news. My, uh, my friend John's dad uh, passed away when he was very, very young and he never met him. And my friend's dad was a passionate follower of Jesus. And years later, when John was grown, he told me that his mom gave him a journal his dad wrote uh, during the chemo and the recovery and his ultimate death. And John said he was staggered when he turned to the final page, the last thing that his dad ever wrote. And it simply said, there is always hope. 
there is always hope. My friend John had that tattooed on his arm, which is like the best tattoo story ever. <laughs> that's Advent. That's Isaiah. That's go tell it on the mountain. As we uh, light, and hopefully as you light in your homes today, tonight, the first Advent candle that commemorates hope, think of Isaiah. Think about our enslaved brothers and sisters who, who in their enslavement wrote this, wrote this great song of hope. And as you light the candle, it's like, it's like we're keeping the light on for the one who's coming. We're looking, we're waiting, we're, we're watching for his triumphant return. And as we wait and as we watch, we tell people, we tell those we love the good news. How could we not? Let me pray for us. God, thanks for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for the beginning of Advent. I love Christmas, I love even more Advent as I've started to get to know this season over the last couple of years of my life and how beautiful and special it is to look back and remember the coming of the King, but also at the same time to look forward with great anticipation uh, for the King's return. And we do, we, we join with all the followers of Jesus that went before us and we pray that great prayer, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, we long for you. Uh, we hope for you. Uh, nothing will be right until you fully come. And as we wait and as we watch, we want to be people of the good news. We want to share good news with our lips and with our lives for your glory, God. Help us to be a church that does that this Advent. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.